0: So for a little more than six months now, since uh, the end of November, actually, we've been following the course of our lectionary. We've We've been following the church's calendar. And we've been remembering and celebrating the life, the death, the resurrection of our Savior. And if you remember all the way back, we started out with the Lord's coming at Advent. Then we talked about Jesus' baptism and his early ministry. We traveled through his final week and his crucifixion, culminating in his glorious resurrection and his ascension to the place of highest honor at the Father's right hand. And then finally, last week, we talked about the sending of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And the end of all this, kind of the point of it all, is that we would come to know and to understand the love of the living God and the face of Jesus through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's the point of why we're here. And today, all of that pulls together in our celebration of Trinity Sunday. That's, that's what today is. You see that in your bulletins. Trinity Sunday. A day to focus on a doctrine that is central to our Reformed Christian belief and one of the most inexpressible mysteries of our faith. And we have to do all of that in about 25 minutes using words and languages which are always going to fall short of the full weight and the majesty and the reality of our triune God. And knowing that that was going to happen, that that was going to be the case today, it reminded me of a story that I read a uh, week before last, actually, while I was waiting for someone in surgery. It's a, a story that's recounted by a, a nationally known Christian Reformed pastor and uh, founder of Northwest Theological Seminary, uh, J. Peter bostine whose son John and his wife Clara are members of our fellowship, in case you guys didn't know. Uh, for, those, for those of you that know lots about pastors, uh, this book is no joke. He's writing in here right alongside men like uh, James Montgomery Boyce. You know, you know him, Pastor John? Uh, Sinclair Ferguson, R.C. Sproul. So, top-notch book. And He tells this really great story that I want to share with you that really has to do with all the information we're going to talk about today. And he writes, he said, I heard that it happened one winter day that a local pastor had only one person show up to church. It was a 79-year-old farmer by the name of Henry Treat, the hymns that were sung that day sounded a little reedy with only the pastor and the farmer and Miss Trombley, the organist, to, to sing. Those readings of the Psalms didn't go too badly, though, because the farmer liked to shout the responses right out. But then the pastor kind of scratched his head and peered over the, the pulpit to the farmer and asked him in a whisper, Should I go ahead with the sermon when it's only you and the organist to hear it? The farmer thought for a minute and, and replied, Now, Pastor, when only one calf appeared at feeding time, I feed it. So the pastor took that as his cue, and he continued and delivered a spirited two-hour sermon. Now, after the service, when the pastor had shaken the farmer's hand at the door, the farmer confided to him that while he would go ahead and feed only one calf, he would not, however, have given it the full load. So, with that in mind, I promise not to try to explain all the different elements of the doctrine of the, the triune nature of God, but I do want us to get a good taste of it, even if we don't have time to consume the whole load of it this morning. But, <laughs> and thank you, by the way, for the book, because that made a great story. But before we begin, we have to ask ourselves, why does it even matter? Do you think about that? What difference does it make that God is one being in three persons? What difference does an understanding of this truth make in our daily lives and in our Christian walk? Well, A.W. Tozer said, what you think about God is the most important thing about you. What you think about God is the most important thing about you. And you see, far too many believers think that the Trinity is some out-of-reach doctrine with very little importance to our average daily lives, and they choose instead to ignore it. But despite all the confusion in understanding that the Trinity is vitally important to our Christian faith, and I want to take just a few minutes and list for you the reasons why the doctrine of the Trinity matters. And first of all, it's because this doctrine of the Trinity is unique among all the world religions. Because Christianity alone teaches that God is a being in community. That God is relational by nature, that no other religion that's out there claims that. For example, when you hear people ask, do do Muslims and Christians worship the same God? Have you heard that? Well, from a theological perspective, the answer is automatically no, because Islam denies the Trinity and Christianity affirms it. And so just on that issue alone, our two belief systems are completely incompatible and irreconcilable. And just in case you think that's too extreme a statement, I want you to think for a minute, what if God weren't a trinity? Have you ever really thought about it? What if God were just a single being before he created the universe and filled it with heavenly beings and living creatures? And sadly, you don't have to look any further than the Islamic faith that I mentioned to see the horror of a God who is Unitarian instead of triune in nature. And I'll explain to you what I mean. The Muslim God with a little g, the Muslim God Allah is exclusively one person. In fact, the Quran says he has no son and no spirit. Before creation, Allah was completely alone, kind of a cosmic hermit out there. He had no one to share his divine nature with for all of eternity past. He was just a solitary being. So he created the world in order that he would have something over which to rule and subjects to worship his greatness. That's the Muslim faith in a nutshell. Now our God, in contrast, our God with the big G, our God of the Bible has always existed even before creation as Father, Son, and spirit, in a perfect relationship of love within themselves, in fact, in one of his books about the nature of God, Dr. Ravi Zacharias says, in the very nature of God, there is an iU relationship within the Godhead, and he continues because if God said he is love, who was he loving before creation? If God said he spoke, who is he speaking to before creation? he's referring to the fact that he is a being in community, and that communication and affection and love were all contained in the Godhead right from the beginning. Like, have you ever stopped to wonder what God was doing in all of eternity past? Before he created us, have you ever thought about that? Now John Calvin wrote that God was using that time to create a hell for people that ask those kinds of questions. But, But if you really think about it for a minute, Excuse me. If there was a non Trinity God, just a single entity like the Mohammedans put forward, a being like that would have a need to create in order to experience a relationship and not be lonely. You'd have a need to create. And if a God ever had a need, they wouldn't be a God, would they? But because God is Father, Son, and Spirit, He wasn't ever lonely. He didn't need to create other beings to be content, but He chose to do so out of an overflow of that love that already existed. And that means for you and I, we aren't needed, but we're chosen. He didn't need us, but he chose us because there was already a perfect fellowship and a relationship inside the Godhead from eternity past. But he still chose to make you and me, specifically. Even though the members of the Trinity always had each other to love perfectly. In fact, listen to one of the things Jesus says when he's praying before going to the cross. He tells us in John chapter 17, verse 24. He says, Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me. Even before the world began. John 3.35 says the father loves his son and has put everything into his hands. So you see the father loves the son. That's what the Father has always been doing from eternity past, loving the Son and glorifying Him. And by the same token, the Son loves the Father. John 14.31 tells us, Jesus says, I will do what the Father requires of me so that the world will know that I love the Father. And so we see in the Trinity, there's the the Father who loves the Son. There's the Son who's loving back the Father. And all of this love is shared through the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2.11 says, No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. and No one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And so it's through the Holy Spirit that God loves and relates to us too. He tells us in the beginning of John chapter 4, he says, Jesus said, I will pray to the Father and he will give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 5.5, And this hope will not lead us to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill us with his love. You see how those connect? Because you see, the Holy Spirit was given to live inside those of us who believe in Jesus in order to reproduce God's love and God's character and God's desire for relationship and to draw us into the unity of the Godhead in a way that we could never do on our own. Because you know, before a man or a woman is able to respond to the gospel message, he or she must be reborn. We have to be given ears to hear because we're born dead in our trespasses and sins and we have to be made alive in order to respond to the message of the gospel. And without the work of the Holy Spirit, you and I would remain condemned in our sins. We'd be dead. And then even after we're saved, after we're saved, As our relationship with God grows, the Holy Spirit will build into those lives all the fruits of the Spirit that we talked about last week. All the evidences of His presence, the the love and the joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. And at the same time, the Spirit empowers Christians with the gifts of the Spirit to perform ministries, the ministries of of teaching and, and preaching and service and administration all to promote the growth of the community. You know, we've talked about this in Bible study. All of those gifts of the Spirit are designed to build each of us up together, not one person by themselves. Kathy didn't pay the light bill. It wouldn't do me any good to stand up here because you couldn't see or hear me. Right? If we didn't have volunteers to clean the building, if we didn't have Dee to play the piano, if we didn't have John to lead music, all of these spiritual gifts grow us together in the community the same way that the Father, Son, and Spirit are a community. And then in that Christian life, if we begin to stray from our relationship with God, the Holy Spirit tugs at our hearts, tugs at our mind, asking us to repent and return to God for forgiveness that only he can give us. And the Holy Spirit also performs that function for non-Christians, too, as he convicts people's hearts of sin concerning how wrong they are with God and how righteous Jesus is. And that he died to take our place for our sins, and all of that because of how much he loved us. Not because he was incomplete without us, that's important to know, but because of an overflow of love embodied in who God is. And when you begin to understand him more in this relationship of the Trinity, it can change your whole perspective as you grow in your knowledge of God. Because you won't view God any longer as some faraway disciplinarian who just wants your unquestioned obedience. He's not going to be for you just a a cosmic overlord compelling your worship. His will for our lives is not some unknowable mystery like Allah's is for Muslims. And when we begin to see God in the way he really is, we'll begin to experience the reality of his triune nature differently. And then we'll begin to live differently because it's a whole different mindset. It's a different life. Even the the founding doctrines of our denomination stress that. So, So all of my reformed folks out there, make sure you help me out here. What does the Westminster Shorter Catechism say is the chief end or the chief purpose of man? Somebody shout it out. Thank you. To glorify God and to enjoy him. You didn't cheat, did you? Right. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That means God made me to know him by his spirit. It means God made me to love him through his son, and it means God wants me to serve him as father in this world and to be happy in that relationship forever in the next. Because when we begin to understand how much God desires to connect with us, how much he wants to unite us and have us connected with him, it leads us not only to love and understand him better, but to reach out and be loving and understanding of all the other people that are around us. I'll show you what I mean. First John chapter 4, he writes, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so we might have eternal life through him. And this is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us. And his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, John said, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the father sent his son to be the savior of the world. And we know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in that love. You see, when you and I have a proper understanding of God as a unity in the Trinity, and when we begin to grasp this, even just a little, those words for us become not a bunch of rules, but a brand new life. And when we know His great love and it fills us with compassion toward other people, we'll be looking to reach out to those people that don't know God yet. And when we experience his love through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we like God want to share that love with other people. Just like he shares his love with Jesus. Just like Jesus shares his love with us by sending us the Holy Spirit from the Father. And I want to show you another place with that in mind. Listen to how Jesus prayed specifically for us. It's jumping back now to John 17. And I want you to really think about this. Jesus said, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Who do you think that is? All means what? All. For all who will ever believe in me through their message. He said, I pray that they will be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. That they may be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are on me, and may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me. And that you love them as much as you love me. Isn't that great to know? And Jesus is talking about the purpose and the intention now of why we need to understand the nature of God in the Trinity, not to, to fill our heads with theology. Right? We, could, we could talk for hours about the, the nature of the Trinity and all its different aspects, but to fill our hearts with love. Because you see, Jesus wasn't praying just for the church in his day. He was praying for the church in every age, including us. So Jesus, the Son, prays to the Father to make his body of believers into one. Just like he's one with the Father and with the Spirit. And the goal of that unity is right in the verse that we read. He said, so that the world may believe that you sent me. And you know, brothers and sisters, when we stand together as one, the world takes notice. The Bible gives one and only one example by how the world will know that you and I are followers of Jesus Christ, and that is by our love for each other. Did You see, we don't prove to the world how much we love Jesus by how often we attend church. We don't prove that we love God by how much money that we give. We don't prove that we love the Father by what church boards we sit on or how many hours we spend in prayer. We show our faith, really show it, by loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. And through our love, we help fulfill that prayer of Jesus. And it all starts, it all starts with how much God loves you and me and wants to be in a relationship with us. A relationship he made available to us because the Father loved us enough that he sent his son Jesus to die for us even while we were sinning against him and to testify to that love through the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And that's real love. Do you know it today? Do you know that kind of love? Have you experienced it yet? Are you personally in a relationship with the author of relationships? Because if you aren't, you can receive that love. You can experience that relationship today by receiving Christ. And I call out to you in his name, repent of your sins and believe the gospel. And you'll be sealed with the Spirit. You'll begin to experience the love of God as, as you know him more and understand him as a unity in the Trinity that he displays perfectly in the diversity of Father, and of Son, and of Holy Spirit. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of that Spirit be with you all now and forever. Let's pray together. Precious Father, we thank you that even though that you, you live in inexhaustible mystery, we thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that you condescended to send your Son, Jesus, to live here among us, to live as a man, to live and to die, that we might have a relationship with you, Lord, who, as we said, is the author of relationships. We thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to be in your house today. And we ask, Father, that you would send your spirit to make those truths come alive in our hearts and our minds so we'll go forward into this day, Lord, loving you and loving everyone you send us to. And we thank you, Father, for all that you're about to do for us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.